friends. Welcome to Womankind. I'm here in episode 61 with my guest this week, Gina Bloom. Hi, Gina. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Gina is a comedian based in L.A., and I'm going to throw it over to her to give us more information about what she does. So go ahead, Gina. Sure. Tell us more of your story. Uh, more of my story. Okay. So I am a, a comic, stand-up comedian. Uh, I live in L.A. I just moved here this past, like, seven, eight months. Uh, I was in New York City before that. And, um, yeah, that's what I do. I do a lot of the stand-up. I try to try to get out to the as much of the country as I can. Um, I have a podcast. Uh, it's called Sweet the Ladies Guide to Bro Culture. And we have uh, women experience like manly movies or stuff like that for the very first time and get their reactions. It's usually pretty unimpressed. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, writing, et cetera, stuff like that. Um, and just anything creative that I can get myself out there and, you know, get attention from the world. That's what it's all about. It's not certainly not for the money. It's just more about like feeling that like unending need for to to like be seen and get attention. That sounds very that sounds very cynical, but you know, that's <laughs> I guess that's what's motivating me. Some deep dark hole somewhere. <laughs> oh my goodness. So is that like a you have a particular message to get across or is it just um, you're a performer yeah, through do. and through? <laughs> no, I do. I do. Uh, I am transgender and I, um, and I think what has come through in, in what I've done on stage and what I've done in like, um, in writing and things like that is to emphasize not the differences between the genders or, the, or between people who are cisgender and people who are transgender, but to kind of emphasize the similarities, bring it back to something that is universal. I get like a lot of positive feedback from cis women feeling that, you know, I've like affirmed something they've always kind of suspected about men or about their experiences. And they just haven't had like the type of perspective that I have, which is, I guess, kind of rare in comedy. Um, and, and like people seem to appreciate that. Uh, I, you know, I'm not, I don't traffic much in like self-deprecation. Uh, people, I think a friend of mine, a friend of mine was telling me how a mutual friend of ours was complimenting my like bone structure. And then my friend cut her off and said, you know, Gina doesn't need any more compliments, dude. Like she's, <laughs> she's, got enough, she's got enough confidence as it is. Um, well, I, I feel like uh, self-deprecation in comedy is kind of, no comedy is easy, but I feel like that's kind of like an obvious route sometimes. That's, I feel like that's an obvious route. And like, I, you know, it can come off kind of fake if that's not how you really feel. If you're just saying it just to be funny and it comes off fake. There are people who are just, we're really just, you know, self-deprecating people. And that stuff is funny when they say it, but um, it's not the kind of person that I am. So I, so I, my humor is a little bit different, and it comes out that way, and people seem to like it. I'll keep doing it. Nice. Now, tell me a little bit more about the podcast, because I think that's an, an interesting concept for sure. What Can you give us an example of like a movie or something that one of your guests has seen and a particular reaction they've had to it? Oh, yeah. Um, so we just kicked off the second season. It's actually the second episode is... Is coming out Thursday from the, the time that we're talking now, and um, oh, and where can my listeners find that if they're interested? Yes, uh, you can find us everywhere where podcasts are: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, I'm on the More Banana Network, which is a it's a female run and uh, female fronted uh, network, uh, independent network of podcasts based out of Brooklyn, New York. And um, I want to say we have about 10, 12 shows now. Um, and they're all really cool. So go over to, you know, uh, More Banana Podcasts on all of your social media and check us out. There's a lot, not just my show, but there's a lot of really great shows with a lot of women with a lot of um, interesting stuff to say. Um, my podcast 
as I was saying, uh, the episode that comes out on Thursday, we're doing, to start off the second season, we do about 24 episodes a season, come out every week. Uh, to start the second season, we're doing all nine of the Fast and the Furious movies in a row. Oh my and, gosh. <laughs> yes, it's quite, it's quite an undertaking. So the, the format of the podcast is I have like a, a, a woman, um, sometimes a non-binary person that you know is a female experience or sometimes even a, a trans male. Uh, I have a s- tradition of starting the season off with my little brother who is also trans. And uh, that was kind of how we got the podcast started. It was just me recommending like shitty man movies to him and then him, him not paying attention to me. <laughs> so... So we just started that, and he saw The Fast and the Furious um, on last week's episode. And this week we're doing Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, and that is with uh, podcaster Sarah York and also uh, another podcaster, Chris Benoit. Um, and what we usually do is we usually have someone who's an expert, someone who's a fan, um, comes on to like defend it. Because you know, oftentimes these women are like, this is kind of dumb, and uh, you know, I like to have someone who, who at least appreciates it. And what we had, though, uh, with this, you know, Sarah, Chris, and I, it was just—I want to say that we did, we have a we give a very in-depth review of the film, but also complete chaos. Um, it was—I haven't—I'm I, I, not—I haven't edited it yet, so I'm going off just the memory of, of recording it. Um, we, I was afraid when we watched Too Fast, Too Furious because there was no Vin Diesel in it, and so it's kind of disappointing. Wait, is that the second one in the series? That's the second one, okay. yes. That's um, Paul Walker mm-hmm. and Tyrese Gibson as the replacement Vin Diesel oh, okay. for, that one, for that one movie, and um, it's really not very good, <laughs> but... Before they knew what a dynasty they would be. (laughs) Before, yes, before they were a family, they they were too furious. But um, Sarah, I don't know if she liked it, but we certainly had a very good time, you know, dissecting every little facet of it. And it is maybe the most chaotic episode. And I generally don't like that sort of thing. In you know, you get like a lot of comedy podcasts are just trying to crack each other up, and it gets kind of boring after a while. Um. So it's kind of atypical for us to have, you know, this like a free a free for all. But this one is really funny, and I can remember very little of it other than the fact that I had like my face was hurting from all the laughing I was doing over the course of that hour. So um, I highly recommend folks to listen to that mm-hmm. one. It should be it should be fun unless I'm just just mis- misremembering it and it's actually horrible. But. <laughs> I mean, I feel I think, like your face hurting from laughing so much is like a pretty solid review of the episode. Yeah, I've had like a lot of really funny episodes, and I don't. I'm trying. I don't, don't want to say that you know one type of episode is different is better than another. We have some pretty serious ones. Um, if you're looking for a very serious um, dissection of like Harvey Weinstein from like you know a. a, a like a millennial female's perspective, check out our episode on Kill Bill Volume 1. It's actually kind of emotional, and as, and we go really deep with that one. So we, we do try to – I kind of just go where, wherever this, where, the, where the discussion is, is heading. Like I just want to play it up, and if it's going in a direction that's interesting, then that's the direction that we're going to go. If it's, if it's a funny, lighthearted episode, then that's what it is. And if it's not, then, you know – make the best out of whatever it is mm-hmm. i love that so like is each season so this season particularly is the fast and the furious franchise well just the, fir- well, just the first nine and oh, then okay. i did it in such a way so that when the season is wrapping up the 10th movie will be coming out so that we, oh. can, we can do a season finale on the 10th movie and i love it <laughs> i i don't it just seemed it seemed like a good idea. It's it's probably only a good idea to me, but it seemed like a fun little experiment. I think that makes sense. I mean, maybe you can have a a live viewing or some kind of event. Well, that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan is to have like a live. Um, we we did a live episode in the first season for Con Air, mm-hmm. the Nicolas Cage, you know, fighting an airplane full of criminals movie. <laughs> I have never seen that. I feel like. 
maybe I should put that on the list, or would you recommend I it? Think it was a lot of fun to make fun of. It is not a good film. Is that the one where he has like the long hair? Yes, he, he has okay. the long flowing locks. Yes. And he's got like the he's got the tight little t shirt on, and he's and like it's most famous um, because um, he has like a, a stuffed bunny toy in it. He's trying to give it to his daughter, and like a criminal is gonna throw it off the plane, and he's like put the bunny back in the box and like that's what it's famous <laughs> for that's pretty much it <laughs> it basically for Nicolas Cage to get in a fight over a stuffed bunny sounds that's, incredible that's, that's all yes <laughs> so yeah that, we're gonna tr- we're gonna try and do fast I guess part nine uh, as the f- season finale and I have some plans for that maybe mm-hmm. do that live in New York oh my gosh amazing so aside from the podcast, you said you have your hands in a couple other things as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Stand up is you know kind of my primary um, my primary like mode of expression. Um, I did stand up in New York for you know several years. Got pretty integrated into the scene, and you know, kind of found my niche and. Um, after doing it for a few years out there, I lived in LA before I transitioned and um, I got laid off from my job and I was like, interesting. Okay. So now I can do whatever I want. I never got to live in LA as this person. So I feel like it was time to move. And I had started to get like attention from like the TV industry and things like that. So I'm out here, I'm taking meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, I, not at liberty to name drop uh, on a you know on the podcast. But there are like some some pretty interesting things going on out there. Nothing, no one's signed any contracts. No one's paid me any checks for this stuff yet. But like I'm, I'm not wasting my time out here, mm-hmm. and um, I've been doing a lot of writing, and I'm developing a solo show for um, for Edinburgh Fringe in the summer, and I can confirm that I'll be at the Gilded Balloon out there uh, for the entire month, which is one of the big venues out there. So uh, if you have listeners in Scotland or people who are going to the Fringe this year, they should come check me out. I'll be doing an hour of all new sort of comedy storytelling, kind of like Nanette, kind of like what Mike Verbiglia does. Um, Should be a good time. That sounds awesome. I'm really not sure if I have any listeners in Scotland. I hope that I do. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah, totally. Get there. So did you do stand-up at all before you transitioned, or is this something that you have taken on after transitioning? It took me about a year and a half after I decided to go for it to get, to come out, mm-hmm. right? So I, I had, like... um all the stuff to do like paperwork and mm-hmm. then I had to like just get myself mentally prepared and physically prepared. I started hormones and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of that process, I came out at work, which is kind of like the last, I came out in stages mm-hmm. and like the last thing was to come out at work because, you know, that was the thing that like supported me and I got my name legally changed and all that. And then I just kind of like, didn't know what to do with myself after that like all that like preparation and all that time and I had been a writer um of comedy for like a long time like you know seven eight years and um and I wanted to get back into it but what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to like put myself back behind a desk or like hiding or anything like that because I gone through all this trouble to become like this out person and like I wanted to do something out so people are always like, you should you should do stand-up, you're funny, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I just, on a whim, started doing some open mics and found that I really enjoyed it. And people seemed to enjoy me doing it. And I just never stopped doing it at that point. But it was really just because I wanted to do something creative and I wanted it to have like an immediate return. I want, not, mm-hmm. like, not, not necessarily a financial, although that's always nice. Mm-hmm. But just to have like some sort of audience appreciate it and not have it sit in like my computer somewhere for years and years um, where only I have knowledge of it. And then I just got hooked on it, all the performing and all that, you know, just 
became like something I didn't know that I needed in my life, and all of a sudden I did. And now that's one of the primary things that you do. That's awesome. pretty much yeah. That's the primary thing I do. Like I, I still write and I still do you know um, different forms of like artistic expression. But like what I'm known for and what people um, come to see me for is, is stand up, which is something I'd never even really considered until you know I got bored after transition. <laughs> I was like, what am I gonna do with all this time? I have so much time now. It took me like. I had to work and I had to do all this stuff to like, you know, reteach myself how to talk and how to move and how to like dress differently. And because I wanted to look the way I wanted to look, I didn't want to like have this like awkward phase where I wasn't exactly the person that I wanted to be. So I worked really hard at that and it, it took a lot of energy, took a lot of time. And then when it was done, I had all this energy and time to spare. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really cool that, you know, in crafting the person that you wanted to be, you took it to the stage. Yeah, yeah. After that, I was like, this is interesting. And then, like, you know, I started finding things. Like I said earlier, it's, it's about kind of, like, confirming things and about talking about how we're similar. And, like, I remember hearing, you know, like, my female friends talk shit about men and how, like, they're, they're assholes. And, like, and I kind of knew that because, because I knew men. And, like, mm-hmm. I had dated men as a man, but it's a little different. You know, gay men treat each other shitty, no doubt, but um, it's a different kind of shitty uh, sometimes. And, you know, once I started getting, like, the the fuckboy treatment from men, I was like, this is exactly what everyone was saying. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, the rumors were true. (laughs) The rumors were true. And I knew they were true, but, like, I didn't know that I know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's hard have to experience it to fully yeah and like there's like this cliche that a lot of trans women uh hear from cis women were like welcome to womanhood and it's a little shitty to say that because we were women the whole time we just you know weren't prepared to be out right but i understand what they really mean by that it's not like you're like it's not like you weren't a woman until this day it's like womanhood as like a social thing. Right. It's kind like of an, an initiation experience. into. Initi- an initiation, <laughs> yes. An initiation into like the, you know. <laughs> well, the reason I asked that question before about stand-up, like, you know, someone who's presenting as a man in stand-up is different from someone presenting as a woman. And, you yeah, know, definitely. women experience so much marginalization and you know, the cliche of like, well, women can't be funny. So do you find yourself experiencing that? I do. Absolutely. Yes. I find that. Um, and then I find like this, there's like this, um, attitude in like club comics that because I'm trans and I came up through the, the alt scene in Brooklyn that I'm, I'm not that alt comics aren't funny in the same way that, you know, quote-unquote real comedians are, because we're all about, Wait, like, what's clowning. what's the difference between an alt comic and a, re- a quote-unquote real comic? There's no difference <laughs> other than the fact that you came up through alternative rooms. It just means that's just where you started performing. Oh, okay. Um, so you were you were not at the comedy store. I was not at the store so or anything like that. That's the difference. <laughs> came up through an alternative to the comedy club because, you know... Comedy clubs book, you know, 80% straight men. You look at, like, the, the posters for, like, The Laugh Factory, and it's, like, mm-hmm. five white dudes and nothing else. Right. Um, so it's really difficult for anyone who's not, like, a straight male or a straight white male to get into those things. So you have alternative scenes where you can be seen. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people who come out through the alt rooms end up getting into TV writing and things like that. So, like, there's this sort of, like, judginess of, like, club comics but then I started getting booked on club shows, and like I proved myself to be funny in like in in like an undeniable way. Like it wasn't in like an alt sort of like Clapter Brooklyn kind of way. It was like, no, you're genuinely funny. Like, yeah, thanks, dude. So, <laughs> Wait, you so get the, you you're actually that. funny. That's how you're that's how you know you're funny. actually yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's so. You know, so there's there's like there's just this sort of like marginalization of females in comedy in general, and then like, 
and then being a trans person, you're already sort of like distrusted amongst like the the um, comedy establishment because they think that they think that you're only getting booked because you're trans and like people are just trying to be woke and like make space for you and things like that. And like, no, it's because I'm I book a lot. I book I booked forty shows when I was in New York in November. Like I don't, I didn't book those shows because I filled a niche. Right, forty is a number that I don't think you can say that about. At yeah, all. yeah, that's not not a niche anymore. No, right. that's that's like you're that's, you're personally being sought after. Yes, exactly. So, so there's well, that. good for you. And that's like, awesome. Thank you. There's not a lot of like <clears throat> trans stand-ups. <clears throat> there's only a few of them out there, and you know, there's a there's one a friend of mine that. Was uh, passed at the at the comedy cellar. She's doing great. Um, there's a few of them that have been on TV. Patty Harrison is she gets around quite a bit. She's doing wonderfully. But like that's two mm-hmm. out of like however many thousands and thousands and thousands of straight men have been you know doing comedy for mm-hmm. since you know whatever since like the Catskills in like the 1930s. So right. like yeah. There's still plenty of room for us. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find that the, you know, the, the jokes that are told are changing a little bit? Because I know there were some reactions several years ago from like straight white male comics about like, you know, since the Me Too movement that well, yeah, rape jokes still need to be told because I don't care about making people in the room feel uncomfortable. Like, do, are you seeing like a shift in that in the spaces that you're in to some degree i mean there there was a there was a fairly um fairly controversial thing in the comedy community and and you know it that's an echo chamber like it it, it resonated almost no, almost nothing outside of the comedy community but when when dave chappelle had his last special out and he has like some grudge against telling trans jokes because like he's been criticized so much for them that he keeps telling them because I think he I think he just wants to like be a troublemaker or something like mm-hmm. that like oh you're criticizing me for this I'm gonna keep doing it that mm-hmm. sort of thing like he's like it's a little bit of an ego stroke for him to like you know be a bad boy but it's not funny and like that was the thing is that they were just lazy hack jokes there was a lot of good stuff in the special but his trans stuff was pretty lazy and it was pretty hack and you know i talked about that on twitter and i got you know all the comedy bros up my ass for like a good solid week about how i'm jealous and about you know i'm a snowflake and i'm like i don't care i'm not offended i just think they suck i just think they're not funny you're like as a comedian i'm offended you're the snowflake that can't take criticism of your fucking hero who cares zero about you like the relationship goes one way he has no idea who you are and he doesn't care and like you're defending him to the death and like why Mm -hmm. just be funnier so yeah i think that there's there's certainly a lot of comedians out there that have found smart ways to tell jokes about trans people that aren't and they aren't trans themselves and there's a lot of us more of us coming out more trans women more trans men non-binary comics that are that are getting acceptance uh into the comedy scene and we're all sort of like helping it along but there's still there's still people who are misgendering caitlin jenner as a joke like that's the whole punchline mm-hmm. is to you know dead name her or something like that caitlin jenner is not a good person there's plenty to make fun of her about but like just dead naming her and expecting that to be like a, a, a joke is is not a joke. It's just inherently not funny. So it's it is getting better, but there's still a lot of shittiness out there. Mm-hmm. True. What I do find is that if there is a comedy god, I think that comedy god has put me on earth to um to destroy transphobic comics because every time I'm on a show and someone tells some shitty transphobic joke somehow, and it's not because the producer 
does this on purpose, but because the booking order is, is determined in advance, somehow I end up going after that person. Like right after. Like right after that <laughs> oh, person. Oh, God. <laughs> and I destroy them. And people, I've never had someone tell me that I was wrong for criticizing some, for making fun of someone else's shitty joke. I've heard people criticize the person that, um, made the shitty joke, but I've, I've never gotten a criticism for, you know, pointing out how hacked someone's material is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're just better. <laughs> That's the bottom line. <laughs> I can't. I'll let you say that. Okay. That's, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> Having not seen your stand-up, I'll just, you know, just go I'm ahead just going and with I'm it. Better. It's fine. <laughs> yes. I, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. <laughs> Um, are there any other projects that you're working on that you want to give a little shout out about? Uh, yeah, I, um, like I said, my fringe show is going up in previews, uh, starting in the spring. It's called the homecoming queen. Uh, it's going to be New York and LA, uh, throughout the spring. And then it'll come to Edinburgh fringe in August. And we're also eyeing a run at the London Soho theater in, in the winter. So be on the lookout for that, my podcast, like I mentioned. Uh, I have a monthly show in Los Angeles that is at a strip club. We do comedy at a strip club, and then we pole dance. It's called Make It Rain. It's at Cheetos <laughs> in Hollywood. And it's, you know, usually the second Sunday of every month, but, you know, that can kind of change. So just be on the lookout for us. Great. Awesome. Um, I think at this point we'll transition into my questions about womanhood. Um, and just tell my listeners one more time, um, if they want to just follow you or reach out to you or you mentioned like where you're going to be in the upcoming month, yeah. but just some, maybe uh, some stand up shows you have coming up. Yeah. You can find actually make it rain is having a show in the LA area on January 19th. That's a Sunday. Uh, we have our headliner Atsuko Okatsuka is she's headlining and doing a pole dance which should be amazing um i will be headlining some shows of my own uh on january 23rd i'll be in new orleans headlining a show called fruit bat and then on uh the following sunday january 26th i'll be headlining uh, model face comedy at fleetwoods and that's in Asheville, north carolina so you can find me out there and on social media you can find me uh twitter instagram at Gina Bloom, J-E-E-N-A-B-L-O-O-M. Awesome. Great. Um, okay, so moving into the womanhood questions here. Um, yes. Is there anything about your story that you want to add? We kind of heard a little bit about your background, but is there anything else you wanted to elaborate on or expound on? Um, it's hard to say. You know, I guess... Yeah, I guess, you know, because I think we'll probably elaborate through the rest of the conversation, but I guess just given what I said so far, just know that I've been, you know, out for only a few years, so I'm learning things all the time. But I think that's true with any woman. A cisgender woman has been, you know, sure of her gender for her entire life. I think we're all just developing and learning all the time. Um so I guess what we can say about my story is that it's not done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talk to me in a year. Things might be quite different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I imagine they would be, as they are for anybody. Yeah. Yes. So the big question, the big woman kind question is, Gina, sorry. I knew I was going to do that. I keep thinking your everybody name is does Jenna. <laughs> but I, the name... Everybody does that. Gina is... So, Gina Bloom. I love that name. That's so cool. Because you're blooming, right? <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I named myself after my hometown, Indiana. Um, grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Okay, so Bloomington. Cool. It felt appropriate. I love that. Uh, but the question is, what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2020, now that we're in 2020? Uh, to be a woman in 2020? Oh, my gosh. I think to be a woman in 2020 means, uh, you know, to keep your head up and be on your guard and you know, don't let the assholes get you down. It's we're, we're in a fight now. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every woman thinks that some women are perfectly fine with the way things are going and they need their heads examined. But I think <laughs> probably for everyone who listens to this podcast, and everyone who listens to me, 
most of us agree that it's that to be a woman in 2020 is to be active and to keep yourself informed and to keep yourself make sure your voice is heard i think that's i think that's where we're at right now like we're all in a struggle not just not just to like lose our rights but to lose like our existence like you know the planet's on fire and things like that and people don't seem to care the ones in the ones in power don't they they think they can like deny it away mm-hmm. um and I think, you know, female perspectives are important because men have been fucking it up for a while. And, you know, I think I think a feminine energy is important as a counterbalance to, like, all this mess that they have created. I mean, even, so, President Obama said recently, I don't know if this is a tweet or, like, something someone pulled from a speech. He mentioned that if women, there were more women leaders around the world, there would be fewer problems because women typically are the ones who are like in the trenches, like seeing what's going on, like on like a human to human level and having that knowledge in a position of power to create those laws and those different um, situations. Mm -hmm. You know, if women were in charge of those in more cases, we would have fewer problems in the world. Yeah, and I agree with that, but like that's not the reality. That's that's a nice what if, right? So I think at you know, starting from today, starting from where we're at right now, I I guess the important thing is just to not stop. Like it it feels hopeless after a while. Mm-hmm. Like you know we're dealing with Trump's impeachment guy pretty obviously criminal, obviously did some terrible things, did some illegal things. Everybody knows nothing's going to happen to the guy from this trial. So it's easy to kind of like give up and be like, all right, nothing ever changes. We'll just, you know, concentrate on ourselves and like eat cake or something like that. Um, But like that's that's what they're counting on. Mm So, Right. And like I think – the way that a lot of people think of change and even myself a lot of the time I think of change as like a huge thing that we can actually see yeah. but change ac- actually happens very like incrementally where it isn't something that like I will necessarily see it. the fruits of my labor might not be seen in my lifetime yeah it might be seen like I had the, to like yeah exactly I had to rebuild my life over the course of that year and a half and that's not a long time that's actually a very short basis. amount of time for a yeah. huge, such a huge change. But on a day-to-day basis, it do, it feels, you know, I still have to pay bills. I still have to like get up in the morning. I still have to walk my dog. I still have to do, still have to go to my go to my job. Um, so it's easy to like not see what you're doing as effective. But like you said, after a year and a half, I made a, I made a tremendous amount of changes, and I think. I think anyone can do that, whatever their goal is, but on a day-to-day basis, it may feel like you're not getting anything accomplished. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why like reflecting and looking back is really important so you can see yeah. how much has changed. So I mean, yeah, I've been doing this podcast now for about three years, and I mean, things I think have changed for women a, a bit since I started like I felt like I was in a a place of panic when I started which was you know in 20 <laughs> in 2016 in November yeah three years ago <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what we were all doing and so now we're now I feel like I'm treading water and just putting the stories out there <laughs> yes yes I I had um I had just transitioned I had come out in August of 2016 and like I was like oh what a time <laughs> what a time yes yeah, so much optimism <laughs> then I started doing comedy and like oh I'm just loving life and things are great and then November 2016 happens and it's like what the fuck did I just do what the fuck did I do to myself so I mean did you what was your reaction in that moment were you like uh okay can I go back or like <laughs> I just I got very angry and very sad and I'd only just started comedy, and I couldn't bring myself to do it mm-hmm. anymore for a couple of months. So what I did instead is that my friend, um, 
my friend ran these dominatrix parties in New York City, and you could get paid to like beat straight men up mm. and like kick nuts and things like that. <laughs> so like all my anger toward toward you know the establishment, I took out physically, mm-hmm. and I got a little bit of money for it. And then when I got over my anger, I went back to comedy. Mm-hmm. But you know, luckily there were plenty of men in New York City that um, wanted to pay women of all types to like beat them up and shock them and things like that. And it was very therapeutic. The guys were great. Um, you know, moneyed white men, probably Republicans, but you know, I didn't have to follow them home. <laughs> they had they had it. They had taste, and you know, I was more than happy to take their money. And um, at the same time, get out some of my aggressions. And then when it came time to move on, I moved on. Wow, what a great therapy. That was great. Yes, I, get, I got paid to, to feel better. That's, <laughs> That's nice. And I feel like there's a lot of symbolism in there, too, which helps. Yeah, <laughs> yes, very symbolic. Yes, it was exactly what I needed at, at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. So continuing down this train of thinking... What are your least favorite parts of being a woman? Um, I'll I'll get to a more positive question in a moment. Yeah, no, there's like there's some things. It's it's annoying sometimes. Um, I'll start like very surfacey type things. Like I, you know, I definitely feel guilty for some reason. Guilty when I get in my car and I go to Starbucks. And I order a coffee, and I don't put on makeup. For some reason, I feel guilty about that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like, who am I betraying here? Right. <laughs> yeah. Who? Exactly. Like, what? What exactly? Like, who? Who am I letting down? Um, Is that and, something you know, that you like wanted to do for a long time, but like, quote unquote, couldn't? And now yeah, that you have you know, the opportunity, you're like, I have the opportunity. Like, it's also a pain in the ass. You know, yeah. if I just want to get my I want to get my coffee and come home. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel so guilty that I can't do it. It's just I just like I have the tinge where I'm like, ha- you know, handing my money to like the the barista, and I'm like, why didn't I look better for this fucking barista? <laughs> like, who cares? They're gonna see me for five seconds, and they're gonna they're gonna have right. they're gonna have like a hundred customers that morning. They're gonna forget I even existed. Um. So yeah, I I think that you know the pressure to like maintain beauty standards is is. On the one hand, it's a lot of fun. I like the way I look, and I like being able to be this person every day. But on the other hand, you know, I, sometimes it's a pain in the ass, and I I want to be able to go to, like, the grocery store and not have to, you know, slather on a bunch of, like, powder and stuff and not feel like I'm putting myself, you know, in danger or something like that. Because, like, this is kind of a trans thing because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not perfectly presentable – Sometimes you just run into an asshole that just wants to be an asshole to you. It doesn't happen so much in L.A. or New York, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a lucky trans woman with, like, a lot of, like, traditionally feminine features, I also don't like the fact that some of my friends who, you know, didn't have, like, a mom with such prominent features – have a har- have a harder time than me. Like it feels unfair. Like we were all we all went through the same shit. But like I get a certain level of acceptance that a lot of other trans women don't because I look the way I look and it makes me feel shitty and it makes me feel like um like it's unfair. Like because you know, because I just happen to like have, you know, some small hands or something like that, which I do, that, you know, I, I get less trouble from the world mm-hmm. for that. And that feels that feels pretty bad because that's just, you know, it's just part of the the feminine experience in general. You're, you're just judged for, like, things that are beyond your control. Mm-hmm. And that is shitty. Men don't have that problem. I mean, there are certain, there are definitely, there are definitely male beauty standards and, and men are definitely, you know, under pressure to look good. But, like, they don't stop being men necessarily. Like they don't they don't get harassed 
if they're short or tall or something like that, like like women do. Mm-hmm. I think I feel like there are just so uh, many more categories for women that they are things that are looked at. Like with men, it's they, like it's like height, yeah, stature, body yeah. size, and then that's it. And then with women, it's like every like I, you can pick any feature on your entire body, and that's something that you could be potentially oh, judged for. And it's like it's like the amount of fat you have on your like on your like shoulder blade or something like that. <laughs> some completely arcane thing that you have no control over like i have i have shoulder fat like why why and is I, this a thing and it's something that like like there are things that like maybe i haven't even thought of until someone commented on it and then it's like oh yeah, is like, that a thing oh, that's a thing that's a thing i'm failing at i didn't even realize was a thing yeah totally uh, okay, so on a more positive note, what are your favorite parts of being a woman? You know, I really enjoy it. Um, I I enjoy being able to be vulnerable and open and, like, talk about how I'm doing in an honest way and not feel like... Um, and not feel like I'm somehow letting my dad down or something like that, you know? Because um, men... This is not. This isn't a gender thing. Men have emotions and things like that. But there, are, you know, as many as women, there is is just as all human beings are just as complicated as other human beings. But straight men are taught not to like be vulnerable. They're you know they have to. That's that's changing, I think. But like, it's still pretty standard for like straight men to to be like oh you know emotion is gay or something like that like that's that's kind of a facetious way to put it but like that's sort of the i think that's the, sort the of, attitude that's the attitude that's the subtext and it's actually has done a lot for my mental health just to be able to talk to people in an honest way and just be forthright and vulnerable and say this is how i'm feeling and not have to feel that in doing so i'm making myself look less than um and that's really freeing, and I think I think men do themselves, straight men do themselves a disservice by holding on to that like patriarchal, like you know, gotta be tough type attitude. It 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 warps them and puts them into like funny shapes that they all they have to do is just talk about stuff and just be honest, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't they'd be much happier. There's not this un, mm-hmm. this inherent competition that men have with each other where like it's like who can be the most dominant, and in order to be the most dominant, you have to you have to to project the most strength. And how do you project the most strength? Well, then you show you're invulnerable. You show that, you know, nothing bothers you. And that's... And, like, women are competitive with each other, absolutely, but not competitive in that way. Right. It's, it's a different type of competition. Yeah. Interesting. So is there anything that you think society or the world needs to know about women or even trans women that the world doesn't know currently? Or it oh my pretends God. like know, it doesn't know. <laughs> the world should know. The world should know this, and they often act like they don't. So, what should people know about women and trans women? I'll answer both questions. Mm-hmm. So, um, I thought about this when like J.K. Rowling was getting dragged on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, um, rightfully so, for like putting up some shitty turfy comments or like or retweeting them rather. Um. When we say trans women are women, it's not it's not a mind-blowing concept. It's really not. We're not talking about physiology. We're not talking about men in dressing rooms dressing up to like, you know, violate women, which hasn't ever fucking happened or if it has it's so rare. Uh, trans women are are more much more often the victims of violence than they would ever be the perpetrators of violence. And that's and people know that. They know that. Like it's that's not something that's like secret knowledge. Maybe some uninformed person that just gets their you know, gets their information from like Alex Jones, they might not know that. But like most educated people, whatever their political affiliation is, know that transgender women are much more often the, the victims of violence than they would ever be the perpetrators of violence, by far. To like a to like a statistically huge margin. So when we say trans women are women, we're not talking about like what you have between your legs or like some hypothetical 
idea of something that doesn't happen but might happen because anything could possibly happen. Like if you, you if you can think of something, then it can happen. Like you know, that's just that's just how life works. When we say trans women are women. It's just it's such a it's such an obvious thing. Like if you just shut up, straight men and people who want to argue with this straight turfy women. And just let trans women be women, there'd be no fucking problem. We're not the ones causing the issues. It's you. It's you that doesn't want to see a woman that doesn't fit in the prescribed mode that you think a woman should look like or sound like. Um, I had to go through a bunch of speech therapy to sound feminine. I still don't sound all that feminine, but like I had to do it because I wanted to feel safe. I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to pay someone five thousand fucking dollars to teach me how to talk a different way, just so I don't feel like I'm gonna get, you know, beat up. Mm-hmm. But I did because I didn't want to get beat up. So if you just let us be women, you'll find it's not a big fucking deal. We'll just be women, and cis women will be women, and then there will be women, and like the world will carry on. Society will not break down. I assure you. Um, what people should know about women in general is, I don't know, dude. I, I like to think that things are really difficult right now, but I like to think that in adversity, women are finding their voices. And I think that the people that are enjoying their power right now, just enjoy it while you can, I guess, because... Demographically, you're all dying slowly, <laughs> but you're dying much faster than we are. And when you're gone, if there's a planet left to be had, it'll be ours. <laughs> I love this declaration. Yes. <laughs> wow. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I don't know how many of those people are listening to this podcast. Probably not. I think... <laughs> Much like my own show, I think we're, I think we're, we're a self-selected a audience. Crew, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So sometimes we need to hear stuff to be encouraged. Oh, definitely. Yeah, like that's the inspiration is, is what I go for. You know. Yes. So um, we may have talked about this already, but what issue that affects women are you most passionate about? Um. There's a lot. Um, I think that I think that mental health issues um, that affect women, but also men, and I think that that dovetails with um, with like intimate partner abuse and things like that. Stuff that I have had personal experience with um, from across like different gender perspectives. Um, I think that that's I think that our day-to-day lives uh, especially those of us who are the most vulnerable people who are in people who are in situations that are beyond their control whether it's their whether it's the conditions within their own body and their own mind or it's within their homes and you know they feel powerless I think that's I think that's a, an important piece um, of that what we need to look for and, and I'm I'm being um, intentionally vague because I have had issues with people in my own past that have taken issue with the fact that I'm speaking out against stuff they've done to me. So I'm trying to be very neutral right now so that I don't get repercussions uh, on myself. But I just know that um, I just I know what it's like to, to be victimized. And um, and if I have any opportunity to you know to shine a light on that to help people out in those situations in a direct way through through you know donations or through just advocacy, I'll take that um, in any way that I can. Um, next question, and again, these questions are like in the same arena. Um, but what changes would you like to see for women in the future? Oh, you know, so many. Um, I'd like to see us in more positions of power. 
I'd like to see, you know, women taken seriously as world leaders without without, you know, being judged for how likable or what the tone of their laugh is or things like that, be judged on the on their experience and on their policies and not on whether or not, you know, ugh, I just can't stand to listen to her and things like that. It's mm-hmm. it's the fact that those so obviously are still out there and then you can have like New York magazine publish an opinion piece on unlikability in like in this election cycle on whether or not like Liz Warren or Klobuchar or any of those <coughs> women that you know are out of the race now are likable enough to win like who fucking likes Joe Biden honestly <laughs> like is this, is this a thing that has <coughs> I mean anyone who's under the age of like 70 who likes Joe Biden honestly Right, in ter- like men are never discussed in terms of like likability. It's I think we've blown that up in the past couple of years with people that have gotten elected. That it's yeah, exactly. How likable was Trump? Like he's he's still not likable. He's likable to you know people who aren't likable. Like, <laughs> like what? But like what else? I mean, he he gamed the system. Mm-hmm. Statistically, pulled off a fluke. Based on, you know, concentrating in like three or four states and he won, you know, because he had smart people that knew math and knew how to, you know, propagandize effectively. Not because he's a, you know, a fucking gem. And I think that's what we're, I think that's what happens is that, you know, Trump's electoral success becomes like the wrong message. Like it's, it's a triumph of math. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a triumph of likability. He's not likable. Right, and he wasn't before. <laughs> he certainly wasn't before. No one took. We went into election night thinking that we were going to win by like a huge margin, and we didn't because he had smart people that knew that these people in these like Rust Belt states, if you just told them what they wanted to hear, they'd vote your way. Mm-hmm. Oh man, just. Just keep reliving it over and over again. Yeah, it's hard not to, especially (laughs) with so much going on right now. It's hard not to, like, Mm -hmm. get fired up again. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on a positive note, who are some women that you admire? Oh, there are so many. Um, uh, A lot. Uh, I admire... God, in comedy there are... I have so many comedy heroes. Um, Patty Harrison, she's younger than me, but I, I still admire her. It's hard. It's weird to just call someone your hero when they're like 10 years younger than you, but whatever. She's that, great. That sounds great. Because, uh, um, you know, she is trans and she just built a very strong career being her own weird self. And like that's – no one else has done that yet. Not not one of us has done that yet. Um I'm not struggling to come up with an answer. I'm struggling to like to, to like narrow, narrow it down. It down. Yeah. Yes, there's just so many. That's a common problem on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, uh, you know, I I know she's had a rough go of it for the past few months, but I, I really appreciate Elizabeth Warren being, you know, uh, a woman that can recommend radical change and actually know how to do it, mm-hmm. which has been like something that men haven't been able to do. They can recommend radical change and be like, well, yeah, we'll figure it out. And then she'll actually tell you that this is exactly how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to pay for it, this is how it's going to work, this is the timetable it's going to be on. And then, of course, people are like, how dare she? How dare she recommend all these things that are going to help Could us. work. <laughs> all these things that could work. All the specifics it makes it seem all so real. So obviously she sucks, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, Elizabeth Wurzel passed away uh, this week and I never really read her stuff all that much Prozac nation, but I started reading after the fact and I started reading about her and she's actually really kind of inspiring. She was, she was a difficult lady. Um, as, as she called herself, she was, she didn't, you know, she didn't want to do things the old-fashioned way, and she just, and she was just herself. 
and she made people pay attention and she made a good living off of it and she wrote books and traveled the world and she just did what she wanted to do and <clears throat> she was a self-described bitch that was the title of one of her books so I'm not <laughs> not denigrating her at all when I say that and it's like that's just great you can be complicated you can be unlikable and still be really successful and respected and it's a shame that she passed away for me to, to really notice her. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed her now. So I she's another person that um, has been inspiring me lately. Mm-hmm. Nice. Do you have any particular stories of women who have been subversive that inspire you? <coughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I just saw this documentary um, actually two days ago. And it was about this this madam in Mississippi, this black woman. And she was a madam in, in Mississippi in a small town. And, like, she operated for 60 years. And you can, you know, you can discuss the politics of sex work. That's kind of outside. There's certainly exploitation there. But at least as it was presented in the, in the documentary, she ran a pretty – a pretty above-board operation for her girls and made sure that they were safe. And she actually died um, because somebody got kicked out of out – of, out, she, she was already in her 70s. She kicked out a man that was acting up, and he came back and he firebombed oh, the, God. her house. And she was in it, and she passed away uh, from her injuries from that. And he, he died as well. But in the 60 years that she operated, she was respected by the community – this small Christian town in Mississippi, and they just knew she was there, and they knew that she, you know, they knew that she was fair to her employees, and they knew that she was operating outside the law. But they, they respected her because, <clears throat> as an African American woman, you know, growing up in the 1930s, she had no other option to be successful. She had like no, no avenue for herself to like, you know. Own a home. She owned that house, and she owned it. And she kept it. it. Was the nicest looking house in the neighborhood, and she kept it till the day she died because she operated outside the law. But she was so she was so um, honest in her own way that people respected her for it. And I think that's subversive, but also really inspiring mm-hmm. in her own way. Absolutely, I think and I get yeah, a person that. It's 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 a shame. There's another person that I found, you know, years after she passed away. But I'll take inspiration from her anyway. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a lot a lot in my last episode um, with the author Rachel Morlock that I interviewed because she's. I mean, there are so many stories from history that we haven't heard about women because of who was the per- who the people were telling the stories, and I feel like now we're digging, yeah. we're digging all those up and talking about them, which is important. This, this story is fascinating. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to remember what her name is. I think her name was Mabel or something like that. <clears throat> she operated, a, um, like I said, she operated this, this brothel for 60 years. And you're really inspired by it. And then all of a sudden a detail comes out that shakes you, right? And it comes out in, late in, the, in the documentary that all of her customers, all of the men that came through were white men. Mm-hmm. She didn't allow any any black male customers. In oh. her. She actually segregated her own business. And you're like, wow, that's, that's kind of shitty. But then this person comes on, this, this man that was you know, a, around at the time. And he said the reason why she did that wasn't because she was racist against her own people. It's like she had white women working for her. And that if it came out that a, that a black man had paid a white woman for sex in oh, yeah. the 1950s, they would, have, they would have killed him and they would have killed her probably as well and burned down the house you know, mm-hmm. 40 years earlier. So it's a so form it's a of pro- protection. It's a form of protection for her and for her employees, but it's also shitty that she had to make that choice. Right. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's the lesson of history is that, you know, we, we have to make choices within the context that we live in. And sometimes they're not the choices that we would want to make. 
Wow, that was, like, really profound. I like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't like it. I like the, the phrasing of that. <laughs> the phrasing of I don't like sure. the sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the name of that documentary? It's called Mississippi Madam, The Life of Nellie Jackson. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right, listeners, yeah. check that one out. It's uh, on uh, Amazon Prime for free, so check it out anytime. Fantastic. All right, well, Gina, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Um, again, tell my listeners where they can find you and where to reach you. You can you can find me on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Gina Bloom, J-E-E-N-A-B-L-O-O-M. Uh, you can find my podcast, Sweet the Ladies Guide to Bro Culture. That's on Spotify. That's on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you just keep up with my social, you can certainly find me in New York and L.A. performing quite often. And you never know. I might be coming to your state at some point. Oh, exciting. All right. And Womankind listeners, this is your host, Kelsey Novitz. If you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Womankind Podcast through email at womankindpodcast at gmail.com or on my website at www.womankindpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends. Thank you.